Hello, and welcome to the Shingo Principles Podcast, the podcast for those interested in building a culture of continuous improvement and sustainable organizational excellence. I'm your host, Mary Price, with the Shingo Institute, a program in the John M. Huntsman School of Business at Utah State University. The Shingo Principles Podcast is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with thought leaders and practitioners around the world experienced in transforming cultures using principles, systems, and tools. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. In this episode of the Shingo Principles podcast, we hear from Mike Martin, three-time Shingo Publication Award recipient, member of the Shingo Academy, a Shingo examiner, and a Shingo licensed affiliate with his firm, Sisu Consulting Group. Mike has supported many organizations that have challenged and received Shingo recognition. Mike will share his approach to developing successful leaders and building world-class cultures. Mike is in the process of publishing his new book, Management for Oma Natashi, Learning to Lead for Passion, Purpose, and Performance. The following is an excerpt from his book. The key to inspiring and engaging people is to define why an organization exists and give each person the opportunity to discover their own purpose connected to the mastery of their work and the contribution they make. This discovery of purpose and connection to mastery leads to the development of one's ikigai or reason for being. Work itself then becomes secondary to the interaction people have with their work and the opportunity they have to express themselves through continuous improvement, growth, and personal mastery. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Mary Price. I'm the events and marketing manager at the Shingo Institute at Utah State University. I'm so pleased to have Mike Martin with us today. Mike has been a longtime friend of the Institute. He's received the Shingo Publication Award three times. He's a Shingo Academy member. He's a Shingo Examiner and a licensed affiliate with his firm, CCU Consulting Group. Mike has supported many organizations that have challenged and received Shingo recognition. If you haven't had a chance to read the article he wrote about the topic we're discussing today, I would encourage you to go to our website, shingo.org, click the media tab and select the blog. You'll find the article there. With that, Mike, I'll turn the time over to you. Hey, thanks, Mary. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Great to not see you, but see my slides, but I know you're there. So uh, appreciate you all being here this morning. Uh, This is a topic that is uh, near and dear to my heart and one that I would say over the last few years have really been uh, reflecting on, uh, working with, and really kind of contemplating this whole idea about what is our role as leaders? uh, How do we create an environment of respect and humility, as as Shinga would say, uh, in the cultural enablers uh, section of the model? And really, how do we take the work that we do as leaders past just having a management system or having systems uh, aligned to improve processes to really uh, creating a culture where we're improving the passion, you know, really engaging our people. So Mary already gave you an intro uh, to me. Uh, I'm going to be doing my my talk a little bit around the context of uh, a new book that I have coming out called Management for a Motonachi, Learning to Lead for Purpose, Passion, and Performance. And I've been really working on this over the last few years uh, and, and just consumed with these whole uh, questions about how do we, when we develop leaders, how do we develop leaders who not only understand how to work within the context of a daily management system, but even more importantly, how do we develop leaders who are really proficient and passionate about 
uh, engaging their people and about having their people improve performance each and every day. So let's talk about what is our topic for today, because I know that we're on a limited time and we're just going to keep this uh, moving. Really, it is about the gap that we see still with leadership skills in terms of improving the engagement of our people. You know, I put this information uh, in the article about the, the gap that we still see as defined by Gallup. But really, in essence, you know, after all these years on working on engagement, after all these years on really working to improve what we do in terms of, of really creating passionate people, Gallup found that, number one, the largest source of variables for a change in engagement, really the variation they see in engagement is all due to managers and management skills. And really, when they looked at leaders, they looked at this, this situation from the standpoint of when they looked at uh, all leaders, you know, they found that 30% were really great at improving the engagement of their people. They really knew what they were doing. They had positive effect. 50% were just what they called there. They were just present. You know, they were really not having an effect. And 20%, they use the word lousy. You know, people, the 20% of the leaders just didn't know how to engage their people. And, you know, the more that I thought about this and the more that I thought about my experience over the last 10 years, 10 years ago, I published a book called Own the Gap. And it was really about learning or helping our clients learn what a daily management system was and the elements that were critical in the daily management system. And while we implemented those things and we really worked to improve organization's ability to have a daily management system, what we saw is that these skills about improving or these skills about really helping people engage were the difference between those that implemented a management system that got ho-hum results and those that really got their management system to, you know, as I would call it, to sing, to really produce great results. So this, this topic of how do we improve uh, leadership skill really had me question, what is the role of a leader? You know, what is that true role of a leader? And, you know, I've really come to believe that the primary purpose of management or of leaders is to maximize the passion, the feeling of purpose, and the contribution of our people to help the organization be better every day. And so when we talk about, you know, this topic about how do we learn to lead in this environment, we're really talking about how do we do those three things? You know, how do we improve passion? What is it? How do we improve it? How do we connect people to a purpose? And how do we get them to contribute? How do we get them to really tap into performance through their contribution and through helping the organization be better every day? So in the uh, name of time here, let's just tackle a, a few of these and talk about what it means. So let's start with purpose. You know, purpose is really the feeling of connection that each and every person in the organization has to our vision, our vision of the future, you know, really the picture that we've painted about where we're going, why it's so important, and how they can contribute to us realizing that vision. You know, a purpose when it's done well or connecting people is where individuals feel that their personal drive, you know, their personal connection is also aligned with the organization's reason for being. And it's critical that we create an environment where people are connected 
from that feeling of purpose, where when they show up each and every day and they look at the context of their work and in the, the contribution that they're making, that they really feel like their, their hearts, their head and their hands are connected in a way to where the organization is going. And if they don't feel connected, they tend to look for other areas where they do feel like what motivates them is also in alignment with what motivates the organization. So that's really purpose. Second is passion. I really equate with taking pride in my work. In the book, I use a concept called Ikigai, and we're not going to go into it today. We don't have enough time today, but it's really how do I, as a leader, create an environment where I am blending or balancing autonomy and accountability so that my people feel free to improve their work, contribute to their work, and really take pride in the outcome of their work. So rather than having an environment where they feel like they are just doing their job, they really are taking pride in the opportunities that they have to improve their job, to influence their work in a positive way, to really, let's say, put their fingerprint on the, the role that they have and the process that they're working each and every day. So that's passion. So we've got purpose, we've got passion, and then performance. And when we talk about performance from the standpoint of, of leaders and from really maximizing engagement, what we're saying is, is that we've created an environment where people are encouraged to accomplish meaningful challenges, where part of what we're doing for our people is creating gaps between where they are right now and where they can be in the future and using those gaps as challenges so that we can encourage people to challenge themselves, to jump in and grow, uh, to develop themselves, and to get the recognition from knowing that they've achieved great things and they've accomplished more than they thought they could, but definitely what we uh, aspired them to be, you know, what we really thought they were capable of. So those three elements, when we're thinking about, you know, the environment we create, we're thinking about how do we maximize the purpose, that connection that they feel? How do we create opportunities for them to improve their passion for work because of the pride that they take in their contribution? And then third, how do we look at development opportunities? We look at growth as an opportunity to really challenge our people or create meaningful challenges so that they can receive recognition and, and earn respect, you know, that, that earned respect from accomplishing great things. Now, as you think about those three things, or as I say those, I looked at each one of these as, as really what's behind or underlying or foundational to the work that we're doing with the management system. You know, we can take a management system or the systems that we design and we can have the tools and the elements and the techniques all together. But my question always becomes for leaders, but what about the connection that they feel to the purpose of this management system? What about their opportunity to take pride in the work that they do or the problems that they solve? And how has the management system really created big challenges or gaps so that they can take, uh, they can also feel great in the achievements that they've made in improving their own performance. And that's where I see these two start to blend. 
between what we're doing to develop our leaders to lead in a new way, to lead in a way that is uh, productive in terms of how we're maximizing the engagement of our people, but also how to translate that engagement into performance, into profitability, into improved metrics, into results that we need for the organization. All right. Now, one of the examples uh, that I used was Tesse. And those of you who have taken the Shingo courses may recognize Tesse from a, a case study that is done in the cultural enablers, if not other, other workshops that you may have taken. And I had an opportunity to meet uh, Yabe-san over uh, uh, the former chairman of Tesse on a trip to Japan in a number of years ago. And I was really struck by a couple of things. Number one is I was struck by this leader's passion for really putting his people first and his conviction that by putting his people first, that was the reason why the organization was able to turn itself around in quick order and able to transform itself into a global benchmark for its culture. Now, when we look at these three elements of purpose, passion, and performance, that translated out into some very specific system elements uh, for Yabe. Now, with purpose, when it came to connecting people with a purpose, Yabe specifically transformed the role of a cleaner, you know, this is a cleaning company that cleans the Shinkansen, uh, the, the bullet trains uh, in Japan. And when he got into the organization, people viewed themselves as just cleaners. It was a very lowly job. It was almost a job that you, you took when you couldn't get another job. And he specifically transformed the purpose of the organization, not to be about cleaning, doing great cleaning in the Shinkansen. Of course, that's what they need to do but that each and every person's role in the organization was to create what he called heartwarming experiences for the people who rode the Shinkansen. So by transforming the role of their own people, of cleaners, from not just being a cleaner, but, from, but into being the architects of heartwarming experiences, he really connected people at a deep level to the overall reason for being for the company and started to really drive engagement that way. Now, in terms of passion, taking pride in their work, Yabe did that through Kaizen. He really viewed the role of Kaizen or continuous improvement to be partially about improving processes but primarily about providing opportunities for people to take pride in their work, opportunities for them to become architects of their own success so that they could see their voice translated out into physical changes in their environment, into changes in process, and also into improvements in customer satisfaction and really the feeling of of customer warmth, you know, these, these memorable experiences that they were trying to achieve. So that's how he translated passion into the daily management system. Now performance or acknowledging or accomplishing great challenges, he did through a system called angel reports. It was really his recognition process. It was really how he balanced uh, the role of a leader or the role of a manager from being two things. It was driving this Kaizen environment, really creating a focus on the Kaizen so people could take pride in their work, but then marrying that up 
with this achievement, with this recognition of achievement, so that as people took on big challenges, as they accomplished big things, as they worked together as a team, there was also a mechanism for them to really get acknowledgement and get feedback and get the voice of the customer toward those individual activities so that they could see where the work that they did and the challenges they undertook turned into improved performance, performance for them as individuals, performance for their team, performance for the organization. Okay, so that's how Tesse and Yabe brought together these three elements. All right, now, so where do you go from here? We're 15 minutes into this. I know I've got five minutes more so that we can open it up for some questions. But I created three steps that I put in the book that were really, um, how do you create this Amotanachi culture? How do you create an environment where people are passionate, where they are working together, leaders, the management system and team members are all participating to create the type of culture that we can be proud of, the type of culture that, uh, that accomplishes great things. And it came down to three fundamental things. Now, there's a lot of detail under each one of these steps, but step one was adopting a philosophy of leadership that really places its emphasis on people before profit and embraces our role as leaders in creating the opportunity for people to experience Ikigai or this pride in their work. So that's the first step. The second step is armed with that philosophy of leadership. How do I design my daily management system? If I don't have one, how do I install one? If I have one, how do I redesign my daily management system so that I'm aligning people to this larger purpose I'm encouraging growth through systematic challenge, you know, challenge that's brought on through the strategy. And I am engaging my leaders in their role as coaches of this Amotenachi culture, as coaches of people, and as the really the architects or the facilitators of creating this connection between this purpose, this passion, and this performance. Now, finally, the last step is really committing. It's this deep-seated commitment to creating an environment centered around Kaizen activities, continuous improvement activities, where each person in the organization strives to help the organization get better every day and then takes pride in those accomplishments, gets recognized for those achievements, really sees the, the uh, outcomes and the impact of the work that they've done as it relates to them improving as individuals, the organization improving as, as an entity, and customer value improving. So those are those three steps, and it really starts with that philosophy. Now, when I say philosophy, you know, what I'm really saying is, what's your approach to management? What is your approach and your belief, your theory of leadership or management that you're really going to use to rally people around, to really use as a guiding fundamental, you know, this, this, this foundation that you'll build this management system on. And it's really the glue, this leadership uh, philosophy is really the glue that holds together, you know, what we're trying to accomplish with the management system, with what skills, behaviors, and, and, and um, proficiency we're wanting to develop in our leaders. 
Okay. So finally, a couple of things uh, to consider when you are approaching your philosophy or even asking, do we have one? And why should we, you know, why should we have one? Number one, the key question is, does this new philosophy, this management philosophy align to an inspiring long-term vision for success? So for example, in Tessé's example, does Yabe's new philosophy of leadership, which he clearly articulated and defined what he meant as his role for leaders, does it align with this inspiring work that he is doing or wants to achieve with creating heartwarming experiences for each and every person that rides the Shinkansen? Okay. Number two, do you have, is, the, is this philosophy succinct? Is it compelling? And does it contain a well-crafted why? Meaning the longer it is, the more complex it is, the harder it is to describe what your philosophy is and why it's critical, the tougher it's going to be to align your leaders around it and to really demonstrate why the adoption of this philosophy and bringing this philosophy to life is really going to be beneficial for your people and lead to success as an organization. Finally, when you think about this philosophy and, and how you're defining it, I would encourage you to think about how does this philosophy benefit all of your stakeholders? How does it benefit your people? How does it benefit your customers? How does it benefit the organization? And even I would put in there, how does it benefit leaders? Because in my experience over the years, when we can really take the structure of a daily management system that's working well, it's got the right elements to it, and we can empower leaders to understand how they can use that management system to maximize the engagement of their people, to inspire people through this joint vision, to really allow people to take more and more autonomy in their problem solving and in the, the improvement efforts that they're doing. What we see is leaders enjoy their work more. They are leading in a way that does not feel like a constant fight. They are bonding with their team in a different way. They are open to take on new and big challenges. And they really start to view leadership as a purpose-driven rather than um, uh, being put under pressure to continue to perform. Okay? So that, that's what I would leave you with today. Number one, you know, to summarize that really, you know, my philosophy of leadership that I've adopted is that, you know, the, the real purpose of management is to maximize this passion, the purpose, and the contribution of our people to help the organization be better every day. To do that, I need to define a philosophy, you know, my leadership or management philosophy. I need to ensure that the design of my daily management system is going to enable that philosophy to come to life, is going to really engage leaders in the right way to live that philosophy. And then finally, I need to commit to creating an environment where Kaizen is at the center, where continuous improvement is the engine that is really engaging people, driving improved performance, and also creating an environment where people take pride in their contribution. Okay. So with that, Mary, I'm a little bit over on my 10 minutes, but for me, that was really close. That was, I mean, you know, that's rounding error right there. So it what questions perfect. do we have? Thank you so much, Mike. Um, we do have one question so far. Okay. Uh, 
How do you approach a manager who sees organization culture and employee engagement as a fixed thing that, that they are subject to and must work around as opposed to something they can intentionally create? Oh, that's a really great question. So I'm going to take that to mean, how do I approach a leader that maybe views themselves as a victim to the current state versus an architect of a better future state with engagement? Um, I'm actually, ironically, in an airport right now because my flights got messed up. I told Mary and I'm going to work with two leaders, two senior leaders of a group right now who are in that exact position, okay, where they're stuck and viewing themselves as not being able to do anything about the culture. I think they view their role a little bit, unfortunately, as antagonistic. You know, this is just the people that we have, and this is what I have to deal with. And so there's a couple of ways that, um, that uh, I'm going to approach this. Number one is I really have to connect them and have those leaders understand that there is a wealth of experience out there that says that there is a better way to lead and it is possible. Does that make sense? So I, I, we need to first, I think it's important that if I'm trying to transform the organization, I don't want them to think that I just made this up in the shower this morning. You know, I had this brilliant idea and this is the way I'm going to choose to do it. So I think you want to leverage off of some past best practices and to know that there's tons of knowledge out there and information relative to doing it. And it's possible. Number two, it's really critical that I help them see the seeds of success that are already sitting there. Okay. So most leaders have trouble when it comes to, if they're already fixed on what they believe can't move, then they only pick out facts in their environment that reinforce the story they're already telling themselves, which is this won't change. This is a fixed thing. You know, it is what it is and I've got to work around it. So there are key things that we've done with some of the areas. There are some key leaders that these two senior leaders have that I will be bringing forth, showing them how the way that they, that leadership is being done with one of their teams specifically has, has led to improved performance. And I'm going to help them see what this one leader, Tanya, is already doing. Okay. Finally, you have to keep the action simple. I think that oftentimes when we approach our design, this is what I'm seeing. It's like we've given them level five behaviors. Those of you who are familiar with Shingo, we've given them level five behaviors right off the bat. And honestly, they're struggling with just moving to level two. And so if that destination looks so far out there, you know, it's very hard for me to equate and to get a leader to take a few steps and to then reinforce their own success when they look at the end destination as way too far out of sight for themselves. Okay. So that's my too long of an answer for that one, but either I've confused people or something. Cause now there's more questions coming in. <laughs> there is more questions. <laughs> uh, next question. Have you used any tools to measure success of this culture leadership transformation? Um, that's a really good question. You know, most organizations that I go into nowadays, have some mechanism already for measuring engagement, whether they're using Gallup or, you know, they've used the Shingo Insight, you know, they have some way that they're starting to, um, that they're starting to look at whether their people are satisfied and their people are engaged. So usually what I'm doing is finding out what they're using right now, what can we pull from it and how are we going to distill those, how are we going to distill that information into one or two common themes that we're going to use? Okay. So that's first. 
Um, what I don't find that people do as well, you know, they'll have surveys, they'll have other things that they do periodically, is that they're not, they haven't defined what that culture of passion, purpose, and performance looks like when we're in it. So what do you want to see from team members that are really engaged? Do you want to see uh, them suggesting and implementing their own ideas? You know, what do you want to see from leaders? What are those critical things that demonstrate that they're aligning their people and they're encouraging them through great challenge? You know, and are you seeing it? So a lot of times what we're doing is not so much identifying every ideal behavior that the organization needs to have. You know, if you think about the entire shingle model, but looking at the leadership portion of it and saying, okay, we know we want to provide challenge. How are we going to do it? And how are we going to see that it's happening? We know that we want people connected to our purpose. How are we going to do it? How are we going to know that it's working? And we know we want them to take pride in their work through their contribution to improving it every day. How are we going to see it? How are we going to know it's working? All right. And that's really the framework that I start to say, if we're doing those things, I have a real faith that you're going to see whatever mechanism you're using for um, satisfaction or engagement, you're going to see it move in the right direction. It's also a lot easier because many times I was just in another one recently where they're doing it once a year, you know, pretty infrequently, or they're doing it once every six months, this, you know, this formal survey. And it wouldn't make sense with survey fatigue to just tell them to survey everybody every day. So if we can get to the point where we're looking at purpose, passion, and performance, and we've identified some key behaviors from our people and leaders, that becomes that leading indicator that we use in the environment. And then we'll, when they then survey or they you know, use their process of measuring engagement or satisfaction later, then we can see if that's having the effect we wanted. Okay. Thank you. Uh, last question. Uh -oh. Can you yeah. comment on the importance of psychological safety and how you create that while also managing risk effectively? <laughs> okay. Can I comment on it? Yes, I can. Uh, yes. It's incredibly important to create an environment where they're psychologically safe. How do I do that and also manage risk? You know, there's this concept that Yabe and I talked about numerous times that I put in the book called freedom within fences. Okay, where it is creating structure that is that are the fences, you know, of the of the let's say the backyard at which we're all allowed to play in as contributors in an organization. That these fences provide the structure, but we need freedom within it. Now, when it goes to create, you know, where is the right way with that fences? Usually, an organization creates really small fences through their regulatory stuff, their their daily management processes. It's really tight. And what I'm trying to do is I help them balance. We're, we're looking to balance, you know, how can your daily management system really help you with some of the risk stuff? Because it really can through the structure of daily management. But then how can we systematically move the fences, you know, increase the level, increase the size of the backyard, you know, more, you know, freedom that people have to roam, the more they're going to feel empowered and engaged. And so if, if an organization due to their regulations or even just due to their nervousness, you know, sets those fences really small, you know, it's a really small backyard. Like, you don't you can't run at all. You just stand there and that's welcome to your backyard. 
then we're going to systematically, I'm going to help them see how, and we're going to make some joint decisions, how we're going to Im- increase the, the, the size of the backyard, you know, how we're going to move those fences and do it through understanding true risk in an organization, but also do it, doing it by developing people who really take risk into account. You know, they're making great decisions relative to organizational risk. And that encourages us to feel more confident to move those fences further. Thank you so much for presenting today. And thanks to our listeners for joining in and for all of your great questions. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you're looking for additional educational opportunities or you would like to learn more about the Shingo model, please visit our website at shingo.org. Please remember to subscribe and to tune in to next time.